welcome to Live Your Own Way with me, Lucy Gleason Interiors, chatting homes, life and inspiration with my very special guests. This is my first podcast of Series 1. I've been wanting to do this for absolutely ages, so I guess we should probably just get started really, shouldn't we? Today, I'm really excited to be chatting to Horace Panther, contemporary artist and also bassist, as one of the founders of Two-Tone Scarband The Specials. So Horace, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, how have you found the last few months during lockdown? Because you've moved home, haven't you? Um, yes, we moved the week before the lockdown. Um, and we, so we left a sort of the, we left a, a city and we've moved to the countryside, and um, it's been great <laughs> um, it, because I know I wasn't around too much during the fifties, but it was like the fifties. You know, we just live in this little village um, where occasionally huge tractors towing enormous pieces of agricultural machinery trundle past my house, and then ten minutes later, two horses. It's 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 a it's a real it's a real difference from um, you know living living in the middle of, of of Coventry. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it um, because it hasn't affected my work that much. Um, I'm, I'm obviously I'm still able to paint, and my local art store, bless them, I was running out of paint, and they actually came and delivered some paint to my house. Tubes of paint. I mean that was amazing. I was so thrilled with that. So yeah, I, I, I feel very blessed. It's, I, I know what you mean because we've moved out. Well, we moved out quite a long time ago, out to um, the countryside from living in London, and it's so different, isn't it? Like you say, you know, people are quite open, and they will just drop sort of groceries over, you know, without any questions. So mm-hmm. yeah, yes, I think I, I, I'm appreciating nature a, a bit more. I mean, I'm, I'm a, a, I'm an artist. I've got that kind of eye, and I was always a sucker for sunsets. But out here, you know, you almost like you, you walk into the middle of them. There's this couple of, a couple of walks that we go on, one in particular, which is, is like in the middle of this wheat field and there's a church spire over there on the right. And last night, you know, these big grey purple clouds with this orange sun behind them and, and the sky was pink and everything. And it's like, wow, this is great, you know. Do you carry your camera with you? Uh, my, my, my phone hasn't worked for the past two months. Um, <laughs> And we couldn't get it fixed because, of course, the stores weren't open. So, um, so no. But, um, and I, but I found that if you take a picture of a sunset and you look at it as an image on a screen, it's like it's not the same. It, it, you know, it's not as massive as um, as actually uh, as the experience of being there. I'm afraid. That's very true. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go sort of back to the beginning. Um, yeah. What what your memories of your home growing up? Was it arty? Um. Not really. I always drew. I always drew pictures of things. I I, I had adventures on paper. You know, I draw aeroplanes, and uh, I seem to remember drawing a lot of fish. I really liked fish because they all had gills and they all had fins, but but they were different fins, and some had gills in different places, and and but they were all fish. And I think you know, the idea that a shark had a certain shape, and but there again, a, a minnow was the same but different and I, I, I really like that um growing up um what can I remember that was great holidays I once went on holiday like I was eight years old we went to the silly isles and um it was amazing 
um, we because we flew from Exeter, and I was eight years old. It's the first time I'd flown, and it was this Dragon Rapide biplane. It's like this Hergé's Adventures of Tintin aeroplane, and um, and I, I was at the front. My sister was in, my younger sister was in the back throwing up, but I was in the front, and I could see everything, and it was was wonderful. But in the Scilly Isles, it was lovely because to go to all the different islands, you go on these little boats, and it's really hot. And um, one time the chap who was driving the boat let me drive it. And, and I thought I was king of the world. It, it was, was, was nice. It was, I mean, they're, they're my sort of my memories of growing up. We had a nice house. Um, um, my parents scrimped and scraped to get this mortgage. And it was just this lovely house that, that, that I, um, I grew up in. My father was in the war. Um, he didn't see any action, but um, he had a brother who was who was killed um, in Normandy, and he was an artist. And we had a, um, a, a folder of, of um, drawings and um, watercolors that he had done, which we'd all, we, we would look at from time to time. So I, that was kind of, I suppose, in in the background while I was growing up. School. Um, well, I, for some strange reason, I passed my 11 plus and went to a grammar school um, and I tried, God knows I tried, Lucy, but I, I'm just not academically minded. Um, mediocrity was my watchword. Somehow I got into the sixth form, um, but that was 1968, 69. And what a time to be 15. You know, um, Jimi Hendrix, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Man, you know, the counterculture, um, bright colours, you know, loud music. It was amazing. So I failed my A-levels dismally. <laughs> but I've got a, a place at Northampton Art School. Um, so uh, that's where I went, 71, 72. And then I, I got accepted at um, the Lanchester Polytechnic in Coventry. So in 1972, I moved to Coventry. And stayed there till last year. So that was what I was going to kind of ask you about next, really, was, you know, that was around the time that you um, formed the specials, wasn't it? Yes. Um, the specials formed in sort of like 77, or the band that eventually became the specials formed in um, 1977. And I met Jerry Damage, who was the founder member um, at art school. He was in the year below me. He, he started in 73. So he graduated in 76 and I'd already left. So were you, were you actively looking to, to start something up then between you or did he approach you? Is that what happened? He approached me. I was in the college band, so he knew that I, I played a bass guitar and um, and he was in various other groups around. So he, I think he, uh, so, so he approached me, yeah. Because I, I was talking to my 14-year-old my daughter um, the other day saying I was going to be chatting to you and I played some of the, the specials music and she immediately went, oh, I love that band. You know, she, she really likes your music. Oh, so, <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I talked to her about two-tone music and being a mixture of a traditional ska and punk. But, like, from, how, from your point of view, um, you know, being at the cutting edge then, can you describe what the atmosphere and scene was like and what the music sort of meant to the fans at that time? Oh, crikey. It was so exciting because we, we were on a mission, you know, it, and it was, it, it was pop music, but it was more than pop music. It was sort of youth culture as well. We had this sort of this fashion thing going where we'd buy secondhand tonic suits and, and like the, the loafers and Harrington's and Fred Perry's and Ben Sherman's and stuff. So they, they, it wasn't just music, you know, but the concerts were incredible. They were just this fantastic celebration of youth. Um, all these 
dodgy dance halls throughout England with no security at all. Um, but it was wild. It, it was wonderful. It was what I dreamed that being in a pop group was like when I used to watch The Searchers on Thank You, Lucky Stars in 1964. Um, it, was, it was incredible. Absolutely brilliant. So who in the band um, had the vision for your style at the time with your, you know, your well, suit? We all did because we punk was happening and was basically dying. Uh, there wasn't a great deal going on. So it was kind of the anti-punk thing, which was all like ripped clothes and um, safety pins holding stuff together. And this was, this was sharp. This was um, this referred back to um, the mods in like the early mid-60s who wore suits and um, and these um, penny loafers, and, and, and which I suppose be- eventually became skinheads or whatever. But it was it was kind of there in the in the zeitgeist. But um, I, I, I suppose Jerry kind of you know, um, held the held the fort with that. Because I don't you, well, you you won't know this, but um, I used to work on top of the props, mm. and um, yeah, and um, never in my whole time working there did. I ever see any bands swap members, and if I've read correctly, did you end up playing in the beat for one performance? Yes, us and the beat were playing on the same show, and it right. was, and it was something that, um, and it's like this would be good. Why don't we do this? And um, and David Steele um, quite liked the idea, um, so we did. Yes, plus the fact that Jerry had been out. This was like um in the the winter time sort of like december november december 81 so jerry had gone out and bought these appalling christmas jumpers that he was <laughs> insisting us to wear and, I, and it was kind of like i don't really want to wear this i know perhaps david Steele would like to wear it and i'll and i'll play too nice to talk to with the beat and it was great <laughs> fun it, it was so cool but no, no I, I, the thing is when the specials do nothing gets um gets re gets um, rebroadcast there's David Steele playing my my bassline again. <laughs> when the beach too nice to talk to comes along, you know, there I am in my sort of Fred Perry type Japanese shirt. It's a funny, funny show top of the pots, really. Yeah, because it, it's the only time that I, I would like to have a drink before a show because you were yeah. miming, and I absolutely adored miming. It was great fun because you could do all those sort of stupid things that that were perhaps a bit too risky when you're actually playing live. Woody from Madness, his mum was one of the people who worked on the show as well. I understand. Oh, okay. I uh, potentially, okay. yeah, yeah. I worked on it from 19, when was it, about 1999 up until it finished. Oh, okay. This She probably got left before then. All right, yeah. No, it was great. But I, I love the sort of the, the the fact that when Mark Bolan appeared on it, he had his this you know, flying V guitar, and but the guitar lead he fitted, um, the other end of it went in, in, in his back pocket. <laughs> you know, things like that, you know, or... Yeah. Uh, when the Stranglers played, there were no strings on Jean-Jacques Bernal's bass and stuff like that. You know, it was was it was great. That whole sort of miming thing was 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 wonderful. I also used to see it as a bit of a, like an illusion, top of the pop. Yes, you know, yeah. Yeah, you, in. There's millions of people in the room, and there's only probably like thirty-five, but they're all sort of like pushed around and you know yeah, by the stage. Oh, it was great. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, so the, the specials, the, you split in 1991 and then um, you sort of... 1981. Yeah, that's right. And then you carried on throughout the 80s. Did you playing with special... I, I worked with um, The Beat, uh, Dave Wakeling and Rankin Roger. Right, OK. They, formed a, they split in 83 and they, they formed a band called General Public and I was involved with them. 
which was great fun, up until 1987. Is that when you started uh, training to become a teacher? No, that was 92, 93. I, I, I did. I, I was in groups up, up until you know, like the the, um, the early 90s when it's kind of like, I think perhaps I ought to get that job that my parents wanted me to get back in the day. I think I've asked, I did ask you this before, but I want to elaborate on it a bit. From going, from being a stage performer, you know, in front of a big crowd, um, and then going into a supportive role as a teacher where your needs come second every day, what was that like? Um, well, it was still show business. You know, you had an audience, you know. Yes. And um, you, you kind of, and I sort of, I suppose I performed, very definitely performed, um, with with the with, with the children, but it was it was just a different way of um, I don't know I, I I wasn't I don't think I I fitted the mould that easily to begin with, but I, I I gradually got got into it and I and towards the end of my teaching I really enjoyed it. I was the art teacher in a special needs school, so it wasn't an enormous amount of number crunching, um, and it was more to do with sort of like self encouraging self esteem than anything else. Um, not a lot of these people were going to go on to to get degrees or going you know, to hold managerial positions. You know what I mean? So, um, it, so it was just sort of basic stuff. But it was lovely. It made me think an awful lot about art and how I could basically sell it to children who perhaps didn't have an enormous amount of self esteem. But if you can't read or write too good, you can achieve just as much as people who can drawing or painting or whatever. So that and it was a real plus. Um, and it was, it was kind of well. What artists do I like, and how can I encourage these children to like them? So, um, so that's what I did. So we did lots of work on Rousseau, um, Warhol. You know, hey, we're going to draw soup cans today. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, it must have been quite grounding for you as well, having been in a band to working with kids, because kids just don't they don't um, think about what someone's achieved, do they? They just think in the moment. I always say that working with musicians for 25 years is extremely good um, practice for working with children. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I can imagine that. I, I live with a musician, so <laughs> you mean. I, I, my son was born, and so I, I, I just thought, you know, I, I liked kids. I, I seemed to get on with, with kids, you know, and, and yeah. I still keep in contact with some of the children who I taught. Yeah. Oh, do you? That's nice. So, as I was saying, I, I have a bit of a bit between my teeth about art and, you know, how it's pushed pushed aside quite often in schools, you know, in favour for academic subjects. What do you think about that? I think, oh, crikey, uh, don't talk to me, ask me about academia and, and art <laughs> education. It, it, it's, it, it, seems, it seems a waste. It's the same with music. You know, that you can communicate so much through 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 music, and it and it's a way of of expressing your creativity, which encourages you to think. And okay, I think that's being taken out of of um, just just pure number crunching. You're at this school just to get these certificates, mm. nothing else. And I think I mean, and there have been some honestly some some quite dreadful you know initiatives to try and. I don't know, change that, but it, I think you can't get away from the fact that sort of, you know, music, music appreciation, learning a musical instrument, but like just um, and drawing, painting, sculpture, looking, you know, seeing is, is just is, is as, as important as, as far as I'm concerned, as quadratic equations and parsing French verbs. Yeah, oh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. 
Uh, moving on yes. sort of down to the last 10 years or so, you've sort of become a professional artist, haven't you? So Yes, the, the specials reformed in um, 2008. So Lim gave me a call. He says, OK, we're thinking of getting the band back together again. So it was like, what, what, what are you in? So it was like, hmm, shouting at children or being a rock star? Let me think about that. <laughs> Difficult choice. Um, so it was great. Um, so we, we did that, but there was a lot of downtime in between shows, and I, I just started painting. I started painting when I was an art teacher, obviously, um, just to, and sort of messing around with a few things, just as a hobby. Um, and that sort of continued. Um, and then I, I came, I, I bought, I was painting these robots. I like the idea of just, you know, painting robots. And my wife came back from shopping one day and said, these are great, Horace, we should try and sell these. And it kind of started from there. And, and who were your inspirations growing up art-wise? Peter Blake, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Uh, but that whole um, pop art, bright colours stuff, Warhol, um, Jasper Johns. And then once I went to art school, kind of moving on to um, the abstract expressionists. But I, but I always go back to Peter Blake. So has that inspired your colour palette, your use of colour? Definitely. In your definitely. I've got a, um, they made a, a cartoon, an animated story of um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart, no, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Did, did you ever see it? Yes, I did. Um, yes. That, I, I, I bought a little paperback of, of that and the colour, I copied all those characters, the, the apple bonkers and the, the blue meanies and all that kind of stuff. But the, the, the colours that were in, employed, in that, I think that had an enormous <laughs> effect on me. But that was all that sort of um, six swinging 60s kind of pop art stuff. I think it all goes back to that. Bright colours, flat, bright, flat colours. Yeah. And because you didn't you study fine art at yes. um, Coventry? Yes. Um, I, 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 and learned to play a bass guitar. Um, nice. No, I, I, I got a degree in fine art uh, at um, Atlantis Polytechnic. Um, and I, I, I did sculpture. This was when this was the uh, this was the mid seventies. It was conceptualism. You know, art language was a big deal at, um, at Coventry. Um, and like they, you would, you know, um, like people would turn their nose up at you if you were made art objects and you were considered less than a single celled um, animal if you actually painted things. So it was a bit. It was it was kind of weird back, back then. So your your um your work now is it? Am I right in saying it's kind of you use acrylics and screen printing? Is that right? Yes, um, I've done some. Um, some of my stuff has been um, um, made into screen prints, but it's mainly um, uh, acrylic on on board. Did you do that? Did you do that at Polytechnic? Do screen printing? Yes, actually, I did. Yeah, yeah, um, just a little bit. It was just like a sort of a, one of the sort of peripheral courses that you were. Um, expected to um, to attend but I started off painting in in my first year but then um, then moved into sculpture in my second and third yeah and when you're when you've been on tour um have you been mm. able to paint do you do you have time no um the t although one time we went to Australia and I knew that I was going to be up all night because the jet lag and stuff so I took some um boards that I was going to that I was going to paint on and so I, I did all the drawings at like sort of three o'clock in the morning in Brisbane and stuff like that. So, um, so no, but I, I'm not. I'm not Charlie Watts, you know, who, who paints watercolor <laughs> every hotel room he ever stays in. Bless him. Um, no, <laughs> the art and the music are very different. It, it's like I'm a different person when I'm 
outperforming than I am when I'm, I'm home and painting. Although being in a pop group has enabled me to go to, you know, some of the world's great art galleries and see some fabulous works, you know, so yeah. Uh, yeah, the two work together. I was going to ask you actually how, how, how different it is doing art to music, you know, the, the process. Mm, well, well, I think music is something that you get an instant reaction. You go out and you perform, and if people like it, they let you know, or if they don't like it, they let you know. Um, but the art is, is uh, the art is my solo album. You know, it's, it's something yeah. that I'll do. Um, it, it takes a lot longer, and, and the but the the reward is kind of different. So, yeah. it's, it's, but but they both offset one another. I, I feel very very lucky to be able to do two. Um, um, two different different careers that both involve creativity. Yeah. Do you have a preference for working on your own or working in a band? No, it, it's they. I can't do one without the other. It's it, it's awful. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, um, yeah, I, I hate that question, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> no, because both are both are incredible, but yeah. both have different rewards or their experience different. I, I'm obviously a fan of your artwork, and you know the Dennis the Menace and Nasher diving into the swimming pool, sort of David Hockney style. Yes. How how did that come about? It's quite surreal. Isn't it? The Beano. I, I did a piece for Doc Martins um, in their new store in Camden, and the people from the Beano uh, saw it, and they were like, "Oh, Horace Brown. Oh, yeah, plays in that. All right, okay." And they approached me to do some work because they, it was the 80th anniversary of the publication of the Beano. And um, a couple of months before, I bought this Peter Blake print because he did some prints for the 75th anniversary. So no pressure, Horace. Um, so, yes, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So I, And it's like, what do you want me to do? And they said, do what you like. Um, so I just thought about it for a couple of weeks. And I thought, well, let's think about my favourite artists and my favourite artworks and incorporate Beano characters in them. So we have um, Dennis the Menace and Nasha ram raiding uh, David Hockney's swimming pool and jumping in it. And um, as opposed to Lichtenstein's wham, we'll have Billy Weiss going whoosh. And uh, there's the Bash Street kids as well. And, um, and um, people are going, do you think you're going to get into trouble doing this? And I was like, I hope so. Because that's, that's very Beano, isn't it? You know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was a, it was huge. Oh, and um, Dennis, what would happen if Dennis the Menace and Minnie the Minx sat for Warhol portraits? Yeah. You know, that I, I was like, yeah. So and that was cool. So we, uh, I found a, a, a print. There were these guys that I knew in Birmingham who basically just silkscreen heavy metal T-shirts. And I went with them and I said, look, can we do this like Warhol did it? And, and they looked at uh, videos of, of Warhol working on the floor, you know, Gerald Mann and all that kind of stuff. So we, we did it with that. We got these whacking big silk screens, and, um, and and we printed these these canvases. It was great fun. And then and then it was the the 80th anniversary, so we had a couple of exhibitions. I mean, did you imagine that your artwork would be sort of globally shown in exhibitions? Um, I didn't really think about it, Lucy. It's like I didn't really think that the specials would become as popular as they did, you know. But, um, you know, um, modesty forbids, please, yes. <laughs> but, um, you know your vending machine pictures? Yes. I think they're some of my favourites. So that's um, 
Tokyo, is it kind of all Japanese? Japan, Osaka and and, um, Tokyo. Specials went to um, a little trip to Japan in 2017. And I I just fell in love with these vending machines. They're just great. They're all over the place. And they're all, it's like it's pop art, you know, in in form. They're great. You know, they're all bright colours and they've all got these bonkers drinks and, and, and all sorts of stuff in them. They, they, they were lovely. And they, they're, again, it's that I like working in series. You know, I like doing like a, a series. You know. So I did like nine of them that are all the same but different, just like fish, you know. Yeah. You know, they've all, they've all got, but they, so the carcasses were more or less the same size, but they were different colours and they had different things in them. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's basically what, what, what they're about. So which, which countries have you most been inspired by on your travels then for your artwork? Oh, I suppose America. Yeah. Because um, it's where all my musical heroes live. And, and I suppose um, Peter Blake, notwithstanding a lot of my American heroes as well. Um, but I love um, like the Edward Hopper, the way he, the way he paints. And, and I just love that, the, those, the way Americans would just use their colour on these enormous signs and and, have, and like gaudy shop fronts and the diners and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's that's kind of where that where that comes from. Yeah. So going back to to your new home, which you've oh. obviously just been in for a few months now, did it take you long to find what were you looking for in a perfect home for your next step? Oh crikey! I don't think I'd look for a perfect home. I'd think I'd look for a home and then make it perfect. Okay, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I knew that um, we, it was like, it was a decision to move out of Coventry and it was just where, and um, I, I knew the, the man who owned this house, he, he's an artist as well, um, so I, and I visited it a couple of times. So I took Claire over and she was like, wow, this is great. It's a weird house, but that's good. The house that we lived in in Coventry was pretty weird as well. It's like an old cottage, but with two whacking big, barn-like rooms stuck on the back with and um it's a so there's there's the old house and the new house and it's it's like it's it was just very very with in the in in the middle it was joined by this little kitchen which has an agar in it which is boiling hot especially on a day like today but um it was like this it's going to be great but we didn't know how it was going to be great so um we moved in middle of march and we just lived in it for a couple of months. Well, we had to because we couldn't get people out to to do any decorating because of this um, virus and, and whatever. But that was great because we had time to, to live in it and say, well, what colour is going to work here? What are we going to do with this and whatever? Um, so, and I think it was making the house work for us um, space-wise. You know, we, we've, we've repurposed a couple of rooms already um, well, I'm speaking to you in the, the, one of the one of the, the small front room, which was a storeroom. It's now an office. Um, so yeah. we, when we when we, we we plan to move a few more things around. And have you got a studio set up for you to do your work? Yes, I've got the the front room in the um, opposite the the office here. Yeah, the the light. I, I kind of I like the light in in the, the house in Coventry a bit better, but it hasn't stopped me working. And it's not. Because I've got a, a, a view on, onto the, the, the main street of the village, which is so I can see all these tractors and horses trundling past. Oh, it's just lovely. 
just just like our house you know we have horse and traps going past and you know the other day I was out and we live on a common I went out and there was I came across a a grass snake and we just had a sort of couple of minutes just kind of staring at each other and it was just quite amazing actually no they're not they're not no although I do think we've got adders here as well but I haven't seen any of those so um, I haven't I've yet to see snakes I've, I've seen uh, rabbits, loads of rabbits, which is not great if you own a border terrier. Um, oh, yes. and, and bats. I've got some bats at night. That, that's, that's nice. Yeah, it's lovely. So have you? Um, do you have a lot of artwork up on, on your walls? Not at the moment. Once we get the place organised, I intend to festoon the walls with, with artwork. Well, and perhaps not. We, we, it depends, doesn't it? I mean, if, if you've got some of the larger paintings that, that I own, I'll just put that on on one wall, but then sort of like there's another wall that I can put lots and lots of smaller paintings on. As an interior designer, I always sort of play this game in my mind where I, I try and imagine what someone's house is like. So I, I, I suppose I imagine for a musician, a bit, a bit like our house, there's lots of vinyl around and, you know, instruments and stuff. Is that Would, would that be right for your house? All the mess is, um, is in my studio. Um, the rest of the house is, is quite tidy, to be honest, except this one room. Have you ever seen um, Francis Bacon's studio? No, I haven't. No. Oh, they, they, they took it to bits um, in, from this Muse house in London and then they, they rebuilt it in Dublin. It's absolutely disgusting. It's not as bad as that, but it, it's in that way. It, you know, um, my, my wife sort of um, comes into it on, you know, and tuts, but I know where everything is. And, I, and I, I, I'm kind of happy living in that sort of chaos. Do you have much colour on the wall? Or will you? Obviously, it's still early days, isn't it? But do you like colour around? We've, we've sorted out the, 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 the old cottage a bit. So um, it was all quite sort of minimalist and, and white walls. So in the bedrooms, we've painted two of the four walls in this sort of mushroom brown, which is nice. Really, really nice. And... Um, in the hall, we've painted two of the walls, this kind of sage green. Upstairs on the landing, the upstairs, is, is a, like a claret, like a maroon, which is lovely. The, um, the Murakami print that I've got and I'm extremely proud of looks fabulous against that one. That, that um, maroon wall looks absolutely beautiful. I often think that the paintings do look brilliant against colour because often in galleries, it's obviously just white or grey walls, isn't it? But I love it. I love a bold wall. Yes, and with a the Murakami's got like a, a little white frame around it, so it, it kind of yeah, it just works really well. It doesn't um, detract from um, from from the work. That's the thing with frames, though, isn't it? I, I'm a, a frame can make a, a a really good painting look dreadful, mm. um, but there again, it, and you know, and it can make a, a good painting look amazing. It's uh, it, it's strange. I'd never thought about that when I'd started doing paintings. But it was a thing that I, I quickly learned that, you know, that how, how you frame a work, you know, means an awful lot. Oh, it makes all the difference, definitely. Mm. So so as someone, like, um, obviously, you know, um, you've toured a lot. What do you miss about home when you're away the most? At the moment, it would be my dog. I mean, that, that, that's not very nice for my, to, for my wife. <laughs> obviously, my, but obviously, uh, my family, what do I miss about? I don't know. I, I I become a different. Nice. No, I become a different person when I go on tour. But uh, but I I, I really enjoy uh, touring. I love travelling. I've always loved travelling. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, it's quite exciting, you know, to go to Japan, to go to America, you know, Australia, New Zealand, or even Doncaster or Liverpool, you know. Um, yeah. So it's, it's I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I tend to make nice coffee. I think perhaps I miss that. Yeah, it's just the little things, really, isn't it? I find laundry. That's what I miss. <laughs> uh, you know, get to, to that stage where you have to, you know, turn your socks inside out um, yeah. and wear the same underpants for, for three days running, and that's it. That, that's not good. So uh, that's. I think that's 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 a big deal. Laundry. What are you working on at the moment? Because you obviously got you know time with the lockdown to sort of concentrate. Mm. Um, I had a lot of time off where I didn't paint while we were doing the move and all that sort of stuff. So it it, it was it was kind of like let's get back into painting. So I painted an album cover, uh, and a couple of portraits just to just to get back into it. Um, and I, I'm quite well known for the, like, these Americana paintings. Yeah, some people have sent me pictures of like American record stores. Um, but I've met a bloke who's just recently published a book. I can't remember his name. Um, he's published a book about English independent record shops, and there's, he sent me a couple of photos. And it's like, you know what? This could work. Um, it's kind, of, it's kind of a niche because it's um, they look nice. They, they look, and some of them are scruffy. But they've all got these colourful records in the windows or whatever and, and stuff. So I'm, I'm contemplating. I'm starting the first one now. Uh, so I'm going to do a, a, hopefully a series of um, English independent record shops and see how that works. Right. Oh, I'd love to see those. Mm. I really would. Mm. So we've, we've got a few of your um, multi-cassette mm. um, up at home, which I, I love. You know, whenever we have friends around, one, one's by the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And we we um, spend hours, you know, we'll talk through all of the different bands on them. And, um, you know, they're always popular and make everyone reminisce. So yeah. the question I wanted to ask you was um, if you were making a 30-minute mixtape, because I, I used to love those, what what would you put on it? Only 30 had- minutes? Uh, well, you can you can do longer if you like. Uh, you can do 90 minutes if you like. <laughs> an hour and a half. You want to know what songs I would put on a, a, a mixtape? Yeah. I've got... I've got eight songs. Great. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's just for starters. Okay, so um, All Down the Line by the Rolling Stones. That's off the Exile on Main Street album. Um, Roadrunner, Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Uh, I, hate, I hate weddings and formal occasions, you know, that sort of stuff. Where you got to, you know. And that. But if you want me to dance, all you've got to do is put that record on and I'm there. Um, Outer Space. That's O O U T A space by Billy Preston. Marked Deck by the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Pour Me One More Drink by Robert Ward. Ah, oh, that's so good. That's like, that's a blues thing. As I is Sail On. No, it's 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 a unreleased track on a sampler that I picked up in America like fifteen years ago. But it's it's one of my desert island discs. As is. Sail On by T-Model Ford, um, who is a North Mississippi blues man. Didn't start playing guitar till he was 59. Amazing. Um, Trampoline by the Spencer Davis Group. It's the B-side. It's fabulous. And Easy to Slip by Little Feet. 
Well, there's there's a whole load of there that I'm I'm going to go and look up afterwards because I haven't heard of some of those. So mm, yeah, welcome. Thank you ever so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. So that's podcast number one done. Uh, I really enjoyed that chat with Horace. He's such a lovely and uh, modest man. If you'd like to have a look at his art, then it's horacepanterart.com. So do pop over there if you want to. Do also subscribe to Live Your Own Way if you'd like to hear more of my podcasts. Next week, I'm speaking to uh, architect and TV expert, Laura Jane Clark, as she's currently on Your Homemade Perfect, designing some beautiful rooms. And in the meantime, have a good one. Bye.